Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We are reading from Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We'll continue with the 103rd Anucheda. Bhagavan protects his devotees and kills the Asuras. Apparently, there's some discrimination, but Jiva's bringing out uh, from the responses of Sukadev Goswami to Maharaj Parikshit's questions regarding partiality, the fact that if we really look deeply into the Lord's manifest Leela, Prakat Leela, the material world, uh, we'll find that uh, when he does make an avataric descent, there's truly no real discrimination there. There's no partiality. Although it appears that there is some. Now the majority of that appearance as it's revealed in this particular Anucheta is coming about by the fact that within the material world different living entities are under the influence of the modes of material nature to greater and lesser degrees depending on their inclination. And the natural tendency of the those that are primarily influenced by Rajas and Thomas is to have little to no interest in anything except their own self-interest. So that's a natural that's the natural nature of those modes of material nature that they influence the living entity in that direction. So the influence of those that are under the mode of goodness is more to be, uh, well, we see that practically speaking, under the mode of goodness, the living entity is more inclined to to be dis- disposed towards a... Um, towards the higher qualities of not being so much influenced by uh, lust, anger, greed, madness, illusion, envy, to be that the, the influence of the modes are, are, are less uh, predominant. Uh, those lower modes of nature, of course, are less predominant when sattva predominates. And under the influence of Sattvagun, the living entity is more inclined to uh, inquiring about the nature of himself, to be more inclined to 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 look for, for a general well-being in society at large, as opposed to a a personal well-being, and to to the degree that one is more and more influenced by sattva, goon, uh, he, he naturally develops under the influence of that mode of material nature uh, an inclination to be um, so much, not so much self-involved. He, he's, he's more inclined to, to think beyond just his well-being and 
to see that he's truly equal to every other living entity. That he, you know, whereas in the mode of passion and ignorance, the influence is such that the living entity thinks that he's the center of everything. So it's, you know, self-centeredness uh, as opposed to a, a more of a, a sense of being, seeing oneself equal to other living entities. And God consciousness tends to come to those that have, that are more influenced by the mode of goodness. So even the Acharya, when he comes, he his his beginning guidelines are one: is don't don't allow allow yourself to be overly influenced by the mode of passion and ignorance. As much as possible, you need to to get out of those lower modes of nature. And he may even set up some some moral regulation that really says it stops here. You you can't don't you can't degrade yourself below this because there's no possibility of even thinking straight if you're intoxicated if you're overwhelmed by lust anger greed just you can't think properly so do this and that and you know keep yourself keep yourself at least out of the lower modes. Don't sleep too much. Don't eat too much. Don't don't do anything too much. <laughs> you know, do everything in moderation. Do everything with some some sense of uh, of and take advantage of, of spiritual knowledge. Recognize that no matter what mode you're in, you're not the mode. Even in sattva, you're not you're not the modes of material nature are in and of themselves material. So, when we come to the bhakti practitioner, we may see, and we see throughout the Bhagavatam, this continual display of following, quote, quote, the codes of dharma within human society, but the bhakti is only doing it, or Krishna himself is only doing it, as an example for for the rest of society so that they can also rise up from the lower modes of material nature and start thinking for themselves. The nature of Thomas and Rajas is you really aren't, the more you're under those lower modes of material nature, you don't have an opportunity to think for yourself. And if you really look at look at our own involvement, look at your own personal involvement when you get overcome by anger, you know, or lust, or intoxication, or you know, who's doing the thinking there, you know, who's who's you know who's really got the ring in their nose, so to speak, uh, when you're under the lower modes. The, those lower modes are dragging you around. So at least if we can come to sattva, we can start thinking for ourselves and doing for ourselves and having our own 
true self-interest at at heart, even even in a uh, what we'd say self-centered way. Well, at least I want to I want to I want to improve myself. I want to get a higher education. I want to you know so whatever. So the point I'm trying to make here is very simple. The modes of material nature have an influence on the living entity and we generally see that the more one is situated in the mode of goodness, the more one is open to the possibility uh, and their spiritual prospect becomes more influential in their life. So we generally find the godly are in the mode of you know, they're generally in the mode of goodness. They're not, they're not, they can think for themselves to a certain degree and that, that freedom of being able to think for themselves may, makes them open to thinking of uh, their spiritual nature and the nature of the Supreme Spirit. But we must remember that those practices in human society that are meant to upgrade one materially to the higher mode really are done. Bhakti is independent of those. That doesn't mean that we don't take advantage of all the advantages that we can to situate our, situate ourselves nicely so we can practice bhakti but the life of the bhakta is bhakti so yes we don't sleep too much we don't eat too much we don't take intoxication we try to avoid this and you know we we do certain things but it's only to foster bhakti and once once you start you have to keep that clear in your head, you know. Uh, and if you can do that, then then you can use, you know, those regulative principles, those details of devotional service to your great spiritual advantage. But all of a sudden, if you think those are spiritual life, then you you kind of you're not you're not seeing things. You're not putting the you know, you're putting the cart before the horse, so to speak. The, really, what we want is to become a pure lover of God. We don't want to be m- m- recognized as the most morally stout personality in human society. We don't want our organization to say, oh, look at them, they're so rigid, they're all, you know, they're all brahmacharis, they're, you know, they don't... I've never heard a cuss word from any of them or, you know, never saw one of them get angry or, you know, you get, sometimes you can take, let the morality aspect overcome the spiritual aspect. Better you cuss once in a while as long as you're always, always at class in Kirtan and enthusiastic to serve Krishna. So what, you know, we want to serve Krishna, you know, and if to get the job done, you know, we, we get a little angry and, Use your anger in, anger in Krishna's service. It's okay. 
I'm not recommending that Edgar be introduced as an Ungo Bhakti, but I'm trying to make a point here. And the point is, we want to be Krishna's pure devotee. That's, that's the essence that we want. And we'll do whatever it takes to get that job done. And if, if we have to abstain from the world in, to, in total, then so be it. At a certain point, our determination will become so strong to just have bhakti that we'll do whatever it takes. Right now, we're a little tender faith and, you know, a little bhakti, a little this, a little that. But that's okay. That's the stage of uh, Anista Bhajana Kriya. We're a little unsteady, but gradually, you know, as we go through Anartha Nivriti, the Anarthas will have a lesser and lesser effect on us to the fact that, to the extent that we will do anything to advance ourselves spiritually. So we'll continue to read here from what Jeeva is saying. Because such is the function of time, which is characterized as Bhagavan's volitional act, Chesta. So too, time's controller, Paramatma, also apparently fosters the suras and apparently destroys asuras. The import of the second address, O, Co- o King, is as above. A doubt is raised. If Iswara has no purpose to achieve, then why is it that he never includes the Asuras within his fold and fights along the Devas instead? Why isn't, why isn't, why isn't he on their side? If, he's, if he has no purpose to a personal purpose there, then maybe it'd be good to fight on the other side once in a while just to balance things out. In response, Sukadev refers to him as Surapriya, he who is dear to the suras, meaning he whose beloved devotees are present among the suras. It is only because all those devotees support the suras who are predominantly, predominantly in sattva that Bhagavan is also supportive of them since he is dedica- a dedicated follower of his devotees. Do you notice how Jiva's stating this here? He's not stating that he's on the Sura's side. My devotees hang out with the godly, with the with the people that, that are in the mode of goodness. Well, because they're there, that's where I go. It's not like I go there because they're in the mode of goodness. Is, is the way Jeeva's unpacking this. He goes on, Sometimes, however, when the devas offend a great devotee like Brihaspati, then due to this impurity, their godly nature is covered. <coughs> and thus, the devotees among the suras, as well as Bhagavan, do not support them. Therefore it is said, and then he refers back to... Uh, and Acheta 100. Bhagavan assists the devas when sattva is supreme. But then why? Another question. Do the asuras not follow the devotees as well? In answer, the verse describes them with the adverbial clause. 
who are predominated by Rajas and Tamas. These two gunas make them completely adverse to Bhagavan and his devotees, and thus they have no liking for them. So as I said, it's, a like, it's just a natural consequence that you can't think right. You don't even recognize who a devotee is unless you're you know, awake out of the mode of ignorance and not overcome with your own purposes under the influence of rajas that you could even recognize devotees. What to speak of appreciate them in human society. What to speak of appreciating their God. So that's really what's what's the what the Asuras have going against them is as I said, they just can't see things properly. They're 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 a little intoxicated, either with Thomas, which in and of itself is intoxicating, its characteristics as Krishna points out in the Bhagavad Gita are sleeping too much under the influence of, of intoxication. And then you go to Rajas and it's under the influence of being intoxicated all wrapped up into yourself. I want this, I want that, I want something else. And that's, that's the nature of the mode of passion. I want, I want, I want. Jiva continues. In the scenario just described, the objection may be raised that in regard to the Asuras, Bhagavan always extends only chastisement alone, which would be unjust. The verse replies with the name Urushrava, meaning that Bhagavan is he whose fame, Shrava, is paramount or widespread, Uru, to the ultimate degree, extending therefore even to the Asuras. As described, in verses such as the following. Now from the 11th canto. Out of enmity, kings like Sisupal, Pundra, and Salva constantly thought of Krishna's gait, play, glance, and so on, even while lying down on their beds or sitting comfortably. Consequently, their minds were imprinted with the shape of Krishna's form, and ultimately they attained the liberated state of similarity with his form. What then can be said of those whose minds are attached to him? I mean, that's impartiality, if we ever saw it. That here's people that are actually, you know, they're adverse to Krishna. They've, they've, they've made it their purpose, you know, to... to to only think the worst, only think the worst, and desire the worst for him. But still, in thinking the worst and desiring the worst in relationship to the supreme Lord, who only has their best interest at heart, I mean, who could really think the way that these individuals thought about Krishna if they knew his true character, if they knew what he, the extent to which. He would go to please any other living entity, especially one who recognized him. If they only knew that, how could they even think of Krishna unfavorably? But they were, they didn't have a good thing to say about Krishna, or they wanted to be Krishna. I mean, you know, 
We could go into the Leelas from the Bhagwat, Sisupal, you know, Pundraka, Salva. I mean, they did not have anything good to say about Krishna and everything bad. Or they wanted to be Krishna. They dressed up like Krishna. So with, even with that kind of a mentality, they always thought of Krishna's form. Wow, look at him. He's really quite a, quite a man. Look, he's, who can resist him? Who can, who can stand up in resistance to this? Look at the way he walks, the way he carries himself. So they, they were appreciating, you know, they weren't appreciating it. They were envious of it. You know, they only had the worst, but they, they couldn't stop thinking about Krishna, even, even in that worst of ways. It overcame them. They became Krishna conscious. And in becoming Krishna conscious, they attained liberation. So Rupya Mukti, they received that form for themselves with all of its opulences and powers just because they thought of Krishna. Now, is there any partiality in that? Can we find any fault with the Supreme who, with a Supreme personality that deals with his competitors, with those that are out to get him in that way? What partiality? And how astonishing indeed, this is from the Bhagavad, although the unvirtuous she-demon Putina, the sister of the demon Baka, applied deadly poison to her breast and suckled Sri Krishna with the intent of killing him, she was granted a position corresponding to a foster mother. Consequently, could there be anyone more merciful than him whom we should approach for shelter? Sometimes you think that it's just difficult to become a pure devotee. All these obstacles. But then you see the way Krishna deals even with those who do no direct devotional service. That's why the verse says, what then can be said of those whose minds are attached to him? If we can just make our mind a little attached to him in comparison to people like Sisupal and Kamsa, what rewards they got what re- rewards Putna got for trying to kill Krishna. So we shouldn't be so concerned that Krishna doesn't have our best interest at heart. It, it's there. It may, be, it may be look like a long road from our vantage point, but it certainly doesn't look that way from his vantage point. The conclusion is that Bhagavan certainly blesses the asuras also. Just one thing here from the commentary. He does not personally deal with his external energy. Time kala is the medium through which he executes his functions in regard to the extrinsic potency. Time is his subtle effect, or in other words, his volitional act. Chest. 
We'll proceed to Anacheta 104, and in this Anacheta, we will wrap up this particular area of the Paramatma Sandarbha, dealing with Bhagavan's impartiality and his intention in regards to the creative act. We've covered it pretty thoroughly here. We end with this 104th Anacheta, the history of Jai and Vijay. Jiva Goswami writes as follows, In this way, after demonstrating the scriptural conclusion regarding the true import of Bhagavan's acts, Sri Sukha relates a specific story that exhibits Bhagavan's mercy on Prahlad, Jaya, and Vijaya. As an example, affirming that Bhagavan performs all actions with the sole purpose of blessing his devotees. Now we see that the Bhagavatam in these presentations that we that the Bhagavatam gives of, of the leelas and the interactions of the Lord with his devotees and the progress of devotees in their lives and how they've overcome their material situations and and come to the topmost platform of unalloyed devotion. And sometimes there is the there is the background story and sometimes there is not. So when we hear about Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakasipu in the beginning of such hearing, may, we may not know well, these two demons were actually Krishna's devotees. But they weren't functioning as devotees in the Leela. They were empowered to fight with Krishna, but you, they were and had the mentality of Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakasipu as that mentality is demonstrated in the, in the Bhagavatam, in the Bhagavad itself. That was their mentality. They were full-on demoniac mentality. They took on that mentality. It's not like, oh, I'm here acting like a big demon. Watch me fight Krishna. It wasn't like that at all. They were like, I'm getting this guy. I can't, you know. Didn't Krishna empower them? Yes, that will come out here. But they were demons. They were not. They were not functioning as devotees. They were not aware of their devotion. They were completely separated from all that. So it's important to keep that in mind when we when we hear different leelas. That especially when we hear a leela where a devotee may be put in the position of an asura. Now, once in a while, and the Bhagavatam makes it clear, they do know what's going on. Like Vitrasura. He was completely aware of his situation. I made an offense, and now here I am in the body of a, 
a demon that I want out of this body as soon as possible. And Indra, could you kill me, please? What are you, what are you waiting for? <laughs> so it's interesting that we have in the Bhagavatam both those scenarios of a, devo- of a, of a devotee who's been placed by circumstance and in the case of Jayan Vijay, the circumstance of offending a Brahmin, offending the Kumars, and therefore they're cursed. Jiva Goswami quotes from the seventh canto. It's in the same, this is in the very next verse. So he's, Jiva's gone through these verses systematically here. O King, the celestial sage Sri Narada affectionately narrated a history of this very matter to Emperor Yudhisthira in response to his questions at the time of the great sacrifice, Rajasurya. And then Jiva wraps up the whole discourse here with this comment. Sridhar Swami's commentary on this verse should be consulted as it confirms the exact point in question. That's it. End of the Adachena. So, in the commentary, we can go to what actually Sridhar Swami said in his commentary. We know the story of, of Jaya and Vijaya, and we know of their their appearances and of their actions in relationship to the Lord. But Sridhar Swami's commentary is the central point of Jiva Goswami's Anucheta here. Jiva Goswami mentions that Sridhar Swami's commentary on the above verse should be consulted. Sridhar Swami states therein that Narada recounted the history in question to affirm that Bhagavan's killing of the Daiches was not a matter of siding with the Suras, but rather an instance of his mercy on his devotees who had taken a demoniac birth due to a Brahminical curse. He further says that Bhagavan slayed them in spite of being entirely free from malice toward them. So his commentary precisely confirms the points brought out by Sri Jiva in the last few sections, Anuchedas. So the Lord slayed Jaya and Vijaya, but Sridhar Swami brings out that without malice, he wasn't holding anything against them at all. He, he didn't, doesn't mean he didn't have anger because you cannot, Kshatriya has to have anger, you have to have but there was no malice in the killing, no ill intent. His intent is always for the well-being of everyone, as pointed out in the last Anachedi, very graphically in quoting those two verses from the Bhagavad. Now we change gears, and we come, we're coming to the conclusion of the Paramatma Sandarbha, and we will be reviewing uh, in this section... In this section, actually, there's only two Anuchedas. And Jiva Goswami here is 
trying to present to us that you will find in the Bhagavad Purana, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, all the core teachings of the Vedas and specifically the Vedanta Sutra. This is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Because what's happened with the Gaudiyas, Lord Chaitanya advented, and and the Gaudiya tradition that grew around his advent placed primary emphasis on the Srimad Bhagavatam. Before that, all the Sampradayas, their, their emphasis, primary emphasis, was on Vedanta Sutra, Bhagavad Gita, and the principal Upanishads, Prasthana Trayi. So these three things. So any Sampradaya, and there's four main Vaishnav Sampradayas, they this is where they their theology developed from their study and their revel, the revelations they received from from those three sources as far as their scriptural revelation. And they developed commentaries in relationship to those revelations that came to them and those Sampradayas would stand by those commentaries. You were not a, a bona fide Vaishnav Sampradaya if you did not have your own commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. Along comes Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and all of a sudden because it's now now the focus is not so much on liberation the focus is more on Golokar Premadan entering into the Prem of Golok and that's primarily presented to us scripturally through the Srimad Bhagavatam. So this whole emphasis, and that's that's why this this section, these Anuchetas here at the end of the Paramatma Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami, of course, we know from the Tattva Sandarbha, in the very beginning, he spent half of that Sandarbha convincing us that the topmost Praman, the topmost Scripture for realizing the supreme absolute truth was the Bhagavad Purana. So we didn't find there the Vedanta Sutra. So here we have the architects of the Gaudiya Sampradaya and their main emphasis is on the Bhagavad Purana. And in that Bhagavad Purana, their main emphasis is on one little Pariva Sutra Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. The other Sampradaya is, what? 
What is that about? The Supreme Personality of Godhead's primary manifestation is Narayan in Vaikuntha. Lakshmi Narayan. What, what is... what? You're Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam? That's... Well, we're going into another... some short period of time here. After we finish this particular Sandarbha, we're going to go to the Krishna Sandarbha. The whole thing is based on that statement throughout the whole... I have a god-brother who's also kind of you know, moved into another Sampradaya and I use the Parivas Sutra and Vishwadas commentary on that verse, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, in an argument. And he jumped all over me. You can't use that. Not all Vaishnav Sampradayas accept that. So don't use that as evidence in an argument. It doesn't stand up. And I'm like, it doesn't stand up. It's the basis of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. So he was taking exception with using that as a praman. How you can use that as a praman? And similarly, Jiva Goswami at his time is here and he's saying, the Bhagavatam, the ba- it's all about the Bhagavatam. Everything is in the Bhagavatam. And now he's tying the Bhagavatam to the Vedanta Sutra. And he's saying, and you can find all the major, everything that's taught in the Vedanta Sutra, it's there in the Bhagavatam. And the other traditions are saying, what? First of all, you Gaudias don't even have a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. So how can you even call yourself Vaishnavs? These were real arguments in the day. How can you call yourself a Vaishnava? Where's your commentary on Vedanta Sutra? Shinta Veda Veda Tattva? That is your conclusion? All right, so where? How are you drawing this from the Vedanta Sutra? No, I don't have to draw. Lord Chaitanya drew from the Bhagavatam this. No, you have to have your... We, we have grown up as Westerners in our exposure to Krishna consciousness in a, in a cocoon. So... When we come into these kind of, of areas of Jiva's Goswami, we do have to crawl out of that cocoon of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and we have to recognize there are other Sampradayas and they don't see things the way we see things. But they still love the Supreme Personality of Godhead. They love a different manifestation and they say their manifestation's better than our manifestation. <laughs> and to them, it is. And it's okay. And it's... Uh, what was Lord Shaitanya's statement when Rari Gupa could not be swayed in his love? Great is... Yes. So these other sampradayas are there and just to put yourself in a little bit of a, a mindset as to why these anachetas are here and what their significance is. We do accept the Bhagavat Purana as a spotless commentary on the Vedanta Sutra by the author himself. And it's very significant to our tradition 
that this acceptance of the Vedanta Sutra. As Gaudiya Vaishnavs, we do have to be able to reconcile the underlying theology an ontology of different philosophical points, we do have to be able to reconcile them with what is presented in the Prastana Trii, which is accepted by the other Sampradayas. And it's, it's not difficult. If you take some time and read the Vedanta Sutra, you'll see, well, that's self-evident. <laughs> It really is, because you've studied the Bhagavatam. You've had tulis in the Bhagavatam and hear, heard the sadhus and your guru speak Bhagavatam, Bhagavatam, Bhagavatam. You've heard the Bhagavatam again and again. All these principles that are in the Vedanta Sutra are there throughout the Bhagavatam. So we're going to see a little bit of the correlation here in these next couple of Anuchedas. All right, thank you so much for your association. <laughs>